It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we got Joy Beckerman, the hemp ace, to talk about everything that is hemp, hempcrete, all that building materials and everything. Joy, thanks for being with us at the Talking Hedge. Such a pleasure, brother. Thank you for covering hempcrete. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't covered it before. Um, what do you think is uh, the catalyst for the awareness behind hempcrete? Is it the farm bill in 2018 that sort of pushed that into the the mainstream. I mean, I saw hemp as as a bio as a um, as an opportunity to replace plastics and everything way back. You know, over over half a decade ago, people were making plastic car parts and wanting to make biofuels and everything else. Now, uh, hemp building materials. What has been uh, the catalyst for hempcrete. You've been in it a long time. Maybe you could tell us about how you got into it and how it's become popularized and what what propelled it to, to its status now. Sure, absolutely. And, and in fact, the first fully permitted hempcrete home uh, in the United States was actually built in 2010, so long before even the concept of the 2014 Farm Bill, right, which is where we legalized hemp for uh, agricultural pilot purposes, which meant um, the study of the growth, cultivation, or marketing of hemp. And it's in the 2018 Farm Bill where we legalized hemp so that it could simply reclaim itself in the broad light of day with among America's other agricultural commodities. And it is now, of course, fully removed all of its parts and all of its derivatives from the Controlled Substances Act uh, as an agricultural commodity now. Um, but hempcrete uh, really, hempcrete is thousands of years old. So we have structures around the planet. Uh, there's a 700-year-old hempcrete building that's been discovered in Japan. Uh, the Alora Caves in India are 1,500 years old. Um, and those have hemp and lime and clay walls, which have preserved these beautiful paintings uh, in those incredible caves, and so on and so forth. In the modern day, it was really around the 1980s in France. It was a, a modern builder Charles Rossetti, uh, who was responsible really for hempcrete in modern times. And he was a natural builder who was commissioned uh, in France to, to solve the problem of the deteriorating walls in La Maison de Turc, which was the former home of a famous French writer, Flambe, who you may have heard of. And, and when he considered all of his uh, fill options, and bear in mind, the reason why those walls were deteriorating is because Paris uh, thought that uh, perhaps just sort of covering these historical buildings in a layer of concrete would help, but of course that created a terrible sick building syndrome. And so when he considered all of those different fill options, uh, he had identified a local processor in, in France who could break the stalks of, of local hemp, as we call it, decorticating that outer bast fiber from that inner woody core of the stalk, the herd, which is the aggregate for hempcrete. Um, and and so he decided to heal the buildings uh, with hemp and lime and water using uh, that uh, famous uh, recipe, which is the 411 recipe, really. Uh, we call it just one part of herd, one part of water, um, and one part of lime, but a very special lime, a hydrated uh, natural hydraulic lime, as opposed to an agricultural lime that you would see uh, in, in Home Depot. But 
Now, of course, it's necessity is the mother of invention, brother. And we are talking about a mold, rot, fire, and pest resistant construction infill. Oftentimes when we think of hempcrete because of that word creep, we think, oh, it's a substitute for concrete. And in fact, we can use herd as an aggregate for, for concrete in certain applications. But hempcrete is not concrete. It cannot touch the ground. It's a living, breathing, daylight wall insulation uh, system, but it lasts for hundreds of years. And depending on how thick your wall is, which would you would gauge that depending on how close you are to either the equator or one of the poles, you'll be able to heat and cool your home without a heating or a cooling system, electronic system, um, as long as you have good windows. So it will keep your home at an ambient interior temperature of around 60 degrees uh, Fahrenheit throughout the year with proper thickness and, and proper windows. And, and it's just my very favorite product in hemp. As you know, brother, I have been involved in the hemp movement and hemp industries for over 30 years, but of the 50,000 products that we can make with, with hemp, hempcrete is the nearest and dearest to my heart. And it's what will have the largest environmental impact on the planet as we implement it. So you already mentioned why people would use this. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the fires. Like we've got a lot of fires on the West Coast, more than what I remember growing up with. And so I would think that as an exterior um, usage, whether it's stucco or, or whatever the, the look is, I would think on the exterior, it would provide some um, some help, you know, to to those ailments of, of fire and burning. You also said mold, rot. Um, it keeps things uh, insulated. Mm -hmm. What other benefits would people look right now? And if they're looking at building materials, why would somebody use uh, hempcrete? And are there any building codes preventing people from, from using it? Yes. And I want to first say that in terms of that fire, brother, it's the insulation. So not the exterior, it's the inner part of the house that is fire resistant, right? Hempcrete is the insulation. And we're looking normally at around 12 to 16 inches, some applications, maybe six inches, but you're not going to get that type of energy efficiency, which is numero uno, why people would build with hempcrete is energy efficiency with, with that six inch. Six inch is going to give you some some um, great protection and benefits, but not as much as if we really start to increase uh, that wall thickness and that fire resistance. And, and brother, you really hit it on the head in terms of what's going on with California. When we construct hempcrete homes appropriately, and certainly a, a lime rendering exterior is optimal. However, that can be very cost prohibitive and actually skill prohibited, uh, prohibitive. We need to have skilled uh, masons working in lime um, who would be able to, to deal with all of these homes, but it's that interior itself. Energy efficiency, number one reason why uh, you would use um, hempcrete, but secondary to that and only slightly secondary to that uh, would be indoor air quality. So we are talking about homes that, you know, most people who are building with homes, they are a building with hempcrete. They're very concerned with air quality. They're very concerned with their environmental footprint because after the life of your hempcrete home is over, which can take hundreds of years, you can actually break up that hempcrete and add it into 
the hempcrete mix for your next home, use it as a soil amendment. Um, so we are talking about really the most environmentally pure uh, and durable uh, building material that we could use for home insulation. You hit an excellent question, codes. Without codes, what do we have? And in fact, up until now, and, and even until September and a little bit after, because I've got some good news for you, everyone who wants to build a hempcrete home in the United States becomes an activist by default. They have to go in uh, and convince their local building and planning department um, with a tremendous amount of data that it, it exists and has been gathered from other countries and, and even here in the United States uh, as we continue to just really move forward with Hemp Creek construction in this uh, United States, with that data having to prove this is safe, this is strong, I want to use this for my home and different building and planning departments can be convinced on different levels. We were, of course, very blessed. Uh, Hemp Technologies, that who is my mentor in, in this uh, hempcrete building construction uh, sector, uh, who built uh, the first uh, for fully permitted hempcrete home in Asheville, North Carolina. That was for the then mayor of Asheville. So it was a little easier to get building and planning uh, department sign off when of course you're building for the mayor. Um, but other than that, sometimes we have had to, there's a, a, a gal who had an incredible concrete retrofit uh, in Southern California, but her building and planning department made her add all of these different uh, sort of um, modalities to the hempcrete that took away from what she really wanted. And, and she fought, she even had to fire her own architect because her architect wasn't fighting the building and planning department hard enough. And she ended up doing it herself with another architect and a lawyer. But having said that, here's the good news as the years progress, just this year in April, thanks to the U.S. Hemp Building Association, who, who compiled just an incredible team uh, from around the world, they wrote the index uh, for an appendix for hempcrete for the International Code Council, which is uh, a, an international council that has, like most uh, nonprofits and committees and, and standards um, or associations have a process. So they had their first hearing in April for all kinds of different building uh, modalities that needed to be added to the appendix. But during that long several day set of hearings, the USM Building Association and its team presented uh, its appendix to add hempcrete to the International Residential Code. It got preliminary adoption, seven to two votes in its favor. Um, and then in September will be the next set of hearings where they adopt, the ICC International Code Council will adopt this appendix. Um, and once it's adopted, it will then be put in hempcrete into the International Residential Code, not yet the International commercial code. That would be a different appendix with a different set of data. And then once it's in the IRC, which is the acronym for the International Residential Code, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, which means country by country, or in our case, state by state, uh, will then be need to move, we'll need to move them to adopt that hempcrete uh, into our own um, jurisdictional residential codes. But this is a major uh, boon and really starting to see the proverbial bricks come down in the wall of codes and the ability for home builders to build with hempcrete and, and townhouse builders as well. So the IRC is basically going to be pushing the regulation forward to allow 
individuals to be able to build with this. It's not that builders are going to want to necessarily, they don't care if a house burns down, it's not their liability really. But I think behind that, if they're able to build something that's recyclable, that's um, safer, that doesn't have the um, you know allergies or whatever that people have to, to other building materials, um, you know, the, like the way I look at it is if, if, um, siding and house shingles are made of this, it's just going to protect the house that much more. Um, you're not, able you keep saying siding, but it's, it's honestly, brother, it's insulation. The siding is not hempcrete. The inside of the wall is the hempcrete. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get across to you here, brother. It's not the exterior. Exterior is not hempcrete. The interior is the hempcrete. So you can't inside of the wall. So I'm having a hard time understanding that why I understand you can't put it on the ground, like mycelium insulation. If you put it on the ground or whatever, it's going to go crazy and keep growing because it's organic. What is the deal with, because if, if you put graphene, in hemp, it's going to make it incredibly strong. And I'm really excited about the graphene and, and what that's going to be doing to the construction industry as well with 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can do hemp creek printing, I don't know, um, maybe not. <laughs> Tell me why, why there's, there's not an option right now for siding or, sh- or shingles or exterior. So it, we're, you are asking me questions right now about hempcrete and hempcrete is a very specific thing. When If you want to talk about hemp graphene, carbonized hemp fiber, other types of building materials, that, that that's another conversation. But when we talk about hempcrete, it's a very specific thing, my brother. It replaces the pink stuff. Mm. It is the insulation. It's inside the walls, not outside the walls. And when we make hempcrete, and I, I'm going to be going to the um, Pennsylvania Hemp Agricultural Festival this week, and I'm so excited for a bunch of lawmakers and, and children to show them that actually when we take that herd, again, that inner woody core of the plant, it's it's processed to a specific geometric particle range, which is quite small, could be also used for animal bedding. The bast fiber is removed, that outer, outer bark. The dust or the chaff that's created during the decortication process is removed. So what you have is, a, is like sort of a fluffy animal bedding. I would almost... I would say the closest thing to it that I could describe is maybe oatmeal, but it isn't circular uh, pieces. So when we mix that with this special lime and water, we get almost an oatmeal-like consistency. Now that cures and that cures incredibly strongly because of the type of lime that is being used, but we still need to put in exterior over the hempcrete. Um, you could pick at it over time. And we've seen that with hempcrete wall builds, which I, I have built several little demo walls. And when you don't cover it with lime or some other wood cladding, you know, the little kids can pick at it. It, it. it is exposed to the elements. So you do need an exterior. Hempcrete is one thing. It isn't all these different applications. It's one thing and it's insulation. And so not just that fire resistance, which would allow your home to stand. Uh, it's also the mold and rot resistance that is so very important, Brother Pacific, uh, especially for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And it would be, the, it is the optimum insulation for, say, grow houses or indoor uh, indoor vegetation um, cultivation on any level and, and specifically cannabis because of that lime and because of the geometric particle range of the hemp 
herd itself, it can actually regulate. It's vapor permeable, or as we say, hygroscopic. It regulates humidity. Moisture can move through that wall, just as it regulates thermal energy um, with heat moving through that wall. And, uh, and again, it's the thickness of the wall that allows that energy efficiency because it's the thermal capacity. When we say thermal capacity, we're saying an insulation or a mass, what is its ability to hold temperature or hold thermal energy? And the thickness of the wall determines your, your thermal capacity. We marry that, and these two concepts in building construction are very difficult to sort of reconcile with thermal conductivity, which is what does it take for thermal energy to move through a wall or the exterior temperature then to move through a wall and affect the interior temperature. And with hempcrete, we have this perfect and unique marriage and reconciliation of thermal conductivity and thermal capacity, which allows that wall to hold its temperature for a very long period of time. It helps keep you cool in the summer, helps keep you warm in the winter, and, and it also regulates that, that moisture. For example, had New Orleans been constructed primarily with hempcrete insulated walls during Katrina, those walls would have dried out. We would have been able to save so much more of that building construction of that insulation. Interesting. So it's uh, but you but you're you're on to all of the great stuff. 3D printing. In fact, Texas A and M was just given a um, was just uh, given a grant by the USDA to study 3D printed homes. I mean, we're certainly all of those building materials are being explored. There's a hempitecture, which is our friends Maddie Mead. Um, who just in Idaho uh, put up a plan and got a huge grant to do it for another type of hemp insulation, which is using the outer bark, the bast, the bast fiber. And that looks like the pink stuff. We can roll it up. Only, of course, it is hardly uh, the pink stuff, which is very toxic to workers. Um, it's synthetic. This uh, hemp wool, as we call it, or, or hemp fiber batting um, is non-toxic and it has its own natural flame retardants and mold and, and rot and, and fire resistance. So all of those things, your, your finger is on the pulse, absolutely. But when we talk about hempcrete, it's really just one simple thousands of years old thing. And that is, it's an insulation and it can't touch the ground, brother, because at that point, we wouldn't be mold and rot and pest resistant. It actually breathes. The lime uh, in this construction actually breathes so we can't have it touch the ground. It, it wouldn't breathe on that side. In a situation like Katrina, um, you had mentioned that the, the damaged materials would be easily dried out or, or replaced. You know, I just came back from, from Europe. I was in France and everything is super old and built for longevity. Whereas here, things are built for designed obsolescence. So you can just replace it. It seems like, um, and I'm curious if it like lath and plaster, you know, like if, if we had hempcrete as the insulation and then different materials, uh, if things would be that much easier to replace during, you know, um, a, a Katrina-like event. Can you explain what a sick building syndrome is and how maybe hempcrete would prevent that? Yes, thank you. So when we think of 
we've made these moisture tight homes for some reason, you know, that's been a thing. So we put in the pink stuff. Then we put in this toxic drywall. Then we add this layer of Tyvek, uh, you know, just using vernacular and, and products that people can be familiar with for, for sort of this, um, excellent question that you have. That Tyvek is, of course, to make sure that the water stays out that's coming from outside of, of the like rain and the elements that's coming from outside of your home. But it also is keeping all of that moisture inside the walls of your home as well. So the walls, just as Charles Rossetti and the and country of France started to realize with these beautiful um, homes that they covered up to try to preserve these historical homes with concrete, they start to rot from the inside out. So not only is your building sick because it's rotting, unfortunately, Unfortunately, it's also now capturing and festering mold, bacteria, other funguses that are now getting into your walls, that are now getting into your air, and now your family is breathing them. So many illnesses are caused by sick building syndrome. People simply have to move out of their homes in order to be well again because the sickness is inside of them because it's inside of their walls, their basement, their homes. And it is from this sort of a concept of moisture tightness as opposed to breathing um and which is what which is what natural uh hempcrete walls do it is it's a living breathing wall system is it feasible that tightness that locking it up sorry no that's fine is it feasible though to to do this on a on a global scale there's a lot of pushback on biodiesel for example people talk about you can't grow corn and use fertile uh, soil and fertilizers and all of these things to grow something that's going to be used for building materials. So when we talk about hemp and the demand for CBD and now the demand for, you know, Delta eight, which I don't think you're a fan of, um, but there's all these other demands for hemp and, and hemp bio, uh, not biomass, but derivatives. Um, and so is it feasible to have hempcrete knowing that there's a massive biomass requirement for all of these other competitors or competing. So when we, when we talk about biodiesel in the same way, we would never use the hemp seed. I hope folks will never use the hemp seed for biodiesel, even though we, it makes wonderful biodiesel. That is not an appropriate use of that very valuable seed and agricultural commodity. We would look at renewable natural gas. We would look at supercapacitors and carbonized hemp fiber, which of course I believe is the future, um, but uh, but we're certainly not there yet. In terms of uh, hemp aggregate though, we're using trees, my brother, for construction. We can leave the trees alone, um, let the trees do what they do, use this very fast growing plant, 70 to 120 days. Uh, we can get aggregate for, uh, hemp con for home construction. It is an excellent use of this plant, of, of the fiber plant. Bear in mind that when we talk about hemp-derived cannabinoids, um, we're talking, sure, about multi-billion dollar industry, but when we're talking about the longest, strongest stock in the world and all of the industries that it hits, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, nanotechnology, biomedical applications, um, so on and so forth, um, 
that's where the trillion dollar industries are and where the environmental stability is to say nothing of the economic stability for, for farmers and industry, but it's where the environmental stability is as well, because we're talking about a very high uh, carbon capture plant. I mean, there's already multiple evidence out there uh, that there is no other plant that captures as much carbon as hemp far more than forest uh, trees. So we're capturing the carbon, we're building the soil with those long tap roots of the hemp plant, which stay in, uh, you know, in the ground, which help build that organic matter. Now we don't want to see monocropping or all of these, and I haven't even touched upon the other environmental benefits of culting, uh, cultivating hemp. But if we are using hemp crop after hemp crop after hemp crop, monocropping is, as you well know, brother, is not good at all for the soil. We use it as a rotational crop. It breaks up the pest cycle. It helps increase farm gate and yield for the crops that come after it. So using hemp as a rotational crop is going to be the most um, environmentally beneficial way to use it and to optimize it in things like building material. Now, and in terms of globally, uh, certainly for residential, Absolutely. We, we're going to need to work more on commercial codes. Having said that, there are commercial construction that have already well gone up. The Marks and Spencer's department store uh, in the UK, there is a 160 unit, I believe, um, hempcrete apartment complex going up in the Ukraine uh, right now, but we need to get those up to code. The, the other piece there, and I love the way you are such a critical thinker, um, Josh, is that Right now, in many cases, we are mixing the hempcrete on site and casting it and tamping it and letting it cure. Now, curing, depending on what season you're in or what climate you're in, can take a while. It can take anywhere from a few weeks to eight weeks. So commercial product projects and projects that need to go up more quickly are not interested in mixing and casting and curing on site. They want prefab panels, prefab blocks, and uh, and it's the panels where I, I see the panels are mostly only around six inches, and and so that's going to be a different level of performance um, unless you put two panels together. The blocks can be thicker, um, so just keeping that in mind too, because we hadn't touched upon that. This idea of mixing, casting, tamping, and curing um, versus these prefab cured blocks and panels, which is going to make your product project go up a little a little quicker. Not particularly germane to the question that you just asked, but it dawned on me that we didn't touch upon that. Mm -hmm. No, I appreciate that. Um, what are some investment opportunities? All of this is philanthropic. It feels good, uh, but there are some unapologetic capitalists out there who want to reap the benefits of that. How would one go about, what's, what's the best way? I can't imagine investing in a hemp farm is going to be the best investment. Is it just going after growers or construction companies rather that are looking at it? I mean, what is, if you wanted to jump in from an investment standpoint, where would you go and, and what's maybe the best route for other people looking at this as an investment opportunity? Yes. And while we have several companies uh, coming up, they are trying very much to be self- funded uh, companies. The opportunities are in the infrastructure. Brother, we have been asking farmers to build, to grow, and, and we're, we're not talking about hemp extract. So just for, so that folks understand, we have different varieties of hemp. We have hemp extract, 
varieties, varieties that are being sown for their cannabinoid derivatives. That's a completely different types of genetics uh, than our fiber um, hemp that we are growing for a fiber crop, that long, strong stock. There are different numbers of the way that they're even planted in the field. A cannabinoid or extract hemp is planted about every, a plant for every one and a half or so square meters. When we get into fiber hemp, we're talking about potentially, you know, 400 plants per square meter versus hemp being sown for its grain. Now we talk about dual and tri-crops, which are hemp that are grown. We're harvesting it for its stock and its grain. But bear in mind, in the United States, after 87 years of prohibition, we're going through variety trials now, which is those crops and types of, of hemp that grow very well in Manitoba, for example, for grain, turns out don't grow so well in Lexington, Kentucky. So we're having to sort of start afresh and brand new and thank goodness and so much thanks to our land grant universities, along with our farmers, creating these variety trials that will help uh, tell us in what climate, in what region do the best genetics grow for the type of, of hemp that we're growing for. So back to, um, you know, the fiber hemp. Uh, and oh my gosh, I'm going to sit here. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I have forgotten the actual crooks of your question, but I know that was an important part to, to tell. What was the crooks of your question, Josh? Investment opportunities. Investment opportunities. Thank you. So we have been asking, we've had this tremendous infrastructure for botanical extraction. That was an easy infrastructure to come by, um, brother. So when we liberated the plant, and certainly in 2018, and its derivatives and cannabinoids and extracts, there was botanical infrastructure very easy for the hemp farmer to plug into. We, of course, learned that we overproduced, dramatically overproduced. We realized that for cannabinoid hemp, you only need a little bit of, of hemp to make a whole lot of hemp distillate. What we don't have is infrastructure to process that long, strong stock. We've got about six facilities up in the United States. And what we really need to make it economically viable through every spectrum of the hemp industries is we need processing infrastructure within about 50 to 100 square miles of every hemp feedstock. And then, of course, we don't want to have to truck those processed materials very far to get them manufactured. Well, we're building that now. So in terms of investment opportunities, we have been asking farmers, hey, grow that crop for which there's very little processing infrastructure. We've been asking entrepreneurs and investors to invest in the infrastructure for which there has been too little crop to feed those machines, but one by one in tandem, one foot in front of the other, we are building it. And the investment opportunities are in that infrastructure. Build it and they will come. The, the, there is so much investment and encouragement from USDA and throughout the world to innovate with hemp. There is so much interest. I am on the advisory board for the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, which was co-founded by uh, former USDA Rural Development Director for the state of Mississippi, Nick Walters, who just spent two days up here in Washington with me. And he is, you know, absolutely burning the midnight oil, running around to every conference, and he is being so widely and well-received. The International Biomass Conference for Energy, the, the interest is huge. The glut is 
or the, the challenge is where is it in the supply chain? So in terms of hemp farms, we can get the hemp farmers. What we need are the contracts and we need infrastructure and manufacturing in order to do it. And those investment opportunities are huge. Decortication, the processing of the aggregate and that same aggregate processing it for hempcrete, it can also be used for animal feed and other industries. It's not just one. So there's this is a, a large capex, but the amount of industries that that raw material can feed is tremendous. And we have folks coming in. Dunagro is a very successful, experienced uh, hemp um, fiber manufacturer for hempcrete, the hemp herd. They make non-woven mats. They make hemp pellets. Uh, that's Albert Dunn. Now he, it's just been announced, is in, he's in Holland but he's now opening up a large facility in Indiana. So we've got folks who are already doing this successfully in Europe for years now and leading the way and making car parts and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and now moving into the United States, let's get some US investors uh, involved in that. Oh, and one quick thing, you know, Henry Ford, of course, built a car uh, back in the 1940s. So everything old is new again. So he had built the, the exterior of that car and many of the car parts inside of it with um, hemp, wheat, spruce, uh, and sisal and jute pulp uh, during during the war. So everything old is new again. And Dunagro is already doing that. And uh, so that's the type of investment we need, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, we barely just tipped our toes into this topic. There's a lot... Um... But you also talk about this as well. You have uh, your own Hemp Ace um, podcast. Is that right? Where can people find you at? Where are you at? Thank you. No, Hemp Ace International is my, I have an expert witness and legal consulting firm for hemp um, for the last eight years or so. My um, podcast is Hemp Barons. We are rebranding it. It will be renewed as the joy of hemp. I'm, I'm excited to announce. Um, but the Hemp Barons podcast is available on all of the places where you listen to your podcast. But hempace.com is uh, where folks can find me now. Josh, I'm so grateful for your interest in hemp and for asking these excellent questions. Yeah, sure. Should have had you on a long time ago but maybe if you're going to be in vegas for mj bizcon we'll have you back on uh and if not we'll have you back on anyways because we're in the same state so uh count on that but with that i think we're gonna have to wrap this one up so i want to thank my guest joy beckerman hemp ace uh with hemp baron podcast check her out at hempace.com joy thanks again for being on the talking hedge thank you for everything you do josh i appreciate it i'm josh kincaid this is the talking hedge don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't and i'm out with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye. Thank you.